Next on Abounding Grace, we'll see why it's so important to be careful with those whose life have been wrecked by sin. This is amazing grace. We're delighted to be with you today and welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us through John's Gospel. Are you a policeman or a paramedic? That's the question we'll mull over today as we carefully consider how we minister to others. Pastor Ed will describe the difference between two approaches and by the end of our time together, you'll be encouraged to adopt a Christ-like grace-based approach. Take your Bibles, open them to John's Gospel chapter eight. We are in John's Gospel 8. We're going to be spending some time on this section. Last time we were together, we saw the severity of adultery. And I shared with you a few reasons, not an exhaustive list, but a few reasons why you shouldn't commit adultery and the damage that it does. Today, in the same section of Scripture, we want to look at the significance of grace, how important it is to deal very gently and very carefully very spiritually and cautiously with those that are and have been caught up in sin. So from the severity of adultery to the significance of grace is the path that we're on here in John chapter 8. Now it's faithfulness in the little things that really prepares us for the big things in life. Faithfulness in the little things. Times of preparation for the unexpected, for the interruptions of life, or if we have learned, as we have learned, the divine appointments that God has for us. Jesus, in verse 1 of chapter 8, while everyone was going to their own home, chapter 7, verse 53, and it's really unfortunate that's where they put the chapter break. They should have put verse 53 of chapter 7 into chapter 8. But the way it is, in chapter 7, verse 53, everyone's going home. But in chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus is off into the Mount of Olives. And I believe that was a time to get alone, a time, a regular time that he had to get alone, to be recharged, re-energized. You could call it today what we would refer to as our devotional life. Jesus was faithful in the little things. He was prepared for what was up ahead. He was prepared for chapter 8 because of verse 1. Spending time alone with the Lord. Time alone with his Father. The ministry of Jesus is full and fast. He has a schedule to keep. So how does he pay attention to the details? I mean, even as you look at your own life, how full your own schedule is, how many things you have to accomplish, how many places you have to go, how many demands are placed upon you, and on top of all that, you have technology always pressing in, and there's so much to do and so much to finish. It seems like it's never... How are you prepared for tomorrow? Or how are you, how are you prepared for this afternoon? It must be a regular devotional life with the Father. There is no other way. Jesus comes into chapter 8 with father-filtered eyes because he purposely, intentionally, that was his life, gaining insight from the Father. It's a powerful thing to ready yourself for tomorrow. It's a powerful thing to ready yourself for today. 
Right now, the Spirit of God is moving upon the hearts of those that don't know him. God is moving upon the people that you work with, the people that you live with. God is on the move right now. And it's important that we prepare ourselves to be ready for it, to be used as tools in his hands. You won't have the opportunity to respond to a woman that's caught in the midst of some sort of sin. You won't have the opportunity with, when you're caught with some guy that is in the middle of sin, just thrust into your life. If you haven't spent time with a father, you're going to miss the opportunity. And we see that here with Jesus, where in verse 2 it says, Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? And this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. Jesus is teaching in the temple, gathering a large crowd. We know that the Bible says the common people heard him gladly. They received from him. They wanted more. You know, the more you spend time in the word of God, the more you develop an appetite for it. The more that you develop a hunger for and a thirst for the word of God. The more that you learn that you can't live without the direction of God through his word. And so as Jesus was teaching, more and more people would gather to him. And it was in the midst of this Bible study atmosphere, not unlike what we're here today. Uh, The Bible study atmosphere is a rather subdued, quiet time where there is a teacher and a learner. And in order for those that want to learn, in order for them to learn, there has to be an atmosphere where they can hear and understand. And so while there's a busyness on the Temple Mount area, this little gathering around Jesus, this little gathering around Jesus is quite the teaching atmosphere. It's the teacher with many learners. And in the midst of it, the commotion starts. And I don't think at all that it was sterile or quiet. By the time they come, there's a loud commotion. The spiritual leaders are coming and they thrust this poor woman right into the midst of a group of people, not just in front of Jesus, but into a group of people. And what could have been her worst day, the worst day of her life, becomes the best day of her life. Well, for the very fact that they brought her to Jesus. Their motive wasn't to bless her. As a matter of fact, we can learn from the text very clearly that the spiritual leaders didn't care at all about this woman. They they took advantage of her vulnerability. They used her and abused her like many men have before. When they were looking for a woman to set up to trap Jesus, they found her. And I believe they found her for a reason. This was her reputation, not unlike the woman that was at the well that Jesus met and ministered to and gave hope to and salvation. She was at the well in the middle of the day when nobody was there for good reason. No doubt wanting to avoid the other women of the community. Perhaps even some families that her sexual sin had wrecked and destroyed. And so here's this poor woman thrust into the midst of a Bible study. Suddenly, these holy, high-minded men, as a part of their plot to take Jesus down, set a woman up with another man. By the way, where is the man? Where's the man? Where's the man? He's nowhere to be found. No doubt a part of the plot, a part of using this woman. And one of the things we learn about the spiritual leaders and the condition of the spiritual leaders of the day is that this particular group were a sad, twisted, perverted group of men. 
in order for this to be accomplished. Because it had to be set up in such a way where they had to be within earshot to find out when the festivities would start in the sexual act in order for them to jump. Perhaps they were even looking in the windows, watching it all go down in their twisted perversity, not only wanting to test Jesus, but maybe getting some kind of gratification of looking on on a sex act, not unlike what pornography does today. It's a twisted, perverted thing to be involved in pornography. It's not from the Lord for you. These men are involved in an ancient form of pornography, and right when the act is being performed, they thrust in themselves into the room, separate them, grab the girl. We don't even know if she's wrapped up or covered. We don't know really much about her, except that she's being used and taken advantage of. And the plot was that they would come right in the middle of the teaching time and take her and throw her in front of Jesus as is. But there's a problem. Even though it looks like they're all set up to trick and to trap Jesus, they don't understand something, do they? Among many things they don't understand, they don't understand that it's Jesus. You're not going to be able to trap Jesus. You're not going to be able to take advantage of him. He's the wisest, all-knowing God in human flesh that's on the earth at the moment. And there's no way they're going to get this past him. And the time of this teaching turns into a crime scene. A crime scene. Pastor Chuck Smith, when he teaches through this passage, has taught us something very wise and valuable that I'd like to pass on to you. And, and that's the type, well, that's the difference in the contrast of the type of ministry that you really want to be involved in. Let me read to you from uh, his book, and he quotes, Now, There are also two types of ministries that I've observed. Those that take the attitude of a policeman. They come upon the tragedies and broken lives and they get out the code book. They're going to read you the law. You have a right to remain silent. Anything you say may be used against you. They're on the scene in a very legal way, trying to find out who's at fault, who's to blame, and to read the law. But then there are those ministries and ministers who are more like the paramedics who aren't so concerned who with who broke the law, but how they can heal, how they can help. How can we minister to the broken body, to this broken life? How can we put things back together? How can we bring healing? And you know, in our society, we have two very important groups of people that are very valuable to us. On the one hand, we have the police force, those that serve, serve us as policemen and women. And let's say that there's an accident in the middle of the street. There are going to be two types of people that show up. They're going to be the police and they're going to be the paramedics. And they're both very, very important to the fabric of our society and even to those that are in an accident, in some kind of trouble. The religious rulers here really do typify, in a negative way, the positive attributes of policemen. You know, policemen, by the way, are very, very important to our society. Their mind, on their mind, is immediately on the safety and justice of the situation. When they come upon an accident or a crime scene, they're there to find out. After they've ascertained that a medical emergency and, you know, they got the EMS coming and, and nobody's drastically hurt, nobody needs CPR, they automatically go into the mode, what happened here? What happened? Whose fault is this? They start asking the important question, who's going to get arrested, perhaps? Who's going to go to jail? They're there to bring peace and security to that person that was in the accident. Who violated the law are questions that they asked. Who's to blame? Who's at fault? A very important role. Let me just add this. 
Police are very, very valuable to maintain law and order in society. And I, for one, personally, thank God almost daily for the policemen in our community that watch out for us while we sleep and while we're awake. And I appreciate them. I appreciate you. Now, let me just say this. There was a time in my life where I wasn't so appreciative of the policemen. But then I got born again. And I understand the value and the role. And it's very important. Now, on the other hand, at an accident scene, at a crime scene, you'll have the paramedics show up. And you know, the paramedics, the medical community, they're not so interested on whose fault it was. They're not interested. They're not going to start measuring and taking pictures. Their one goal is who's hurt? Where are they? We have the gear. We have the training. We have, where are they? What, what needs to happen? Show us where the hurt person is. They come on the scene and their concern isn't so much who did it or who's going to get punished, although that's very important. They come on the scene and want to know where the person who's hurt, who needs to be bandaged up, what new wounds need to be taken care of. Now, both are important in our society, but when you think of ministry and how you serve other people, what kind of person do you really want to be? Do you want to be the kind of person that's going to bring out, we found this woman in the midst of adultery, and this is what the law says. Take her out, Jesus. Moses said. Now, there's a fact, and there is a place for the law, by the way, within our ministry. When we're dealing with a person that's unrepentant, we open up the law to them and show them the error of their ways. The Bible says that the law was given to us like a schoolmaster, like a teacher, teaching us about our lives, teaching us where we have failed and fallen, and leading us to Jesus Christ. There is a great purpose of the law, but do you want to be known as a law person or a person that emphasizes the legalities of the Scripture? You know, we have a word for that. There are churches that are known as legalistic, and that's all you get. All you get is pounding of the pulpit, and this is what the law says, and this is what the law says, and don't you know what the law says? And they'll come to this text those that emphasize the law in their lives, they'll come to this text and say, I can't believe it. Jesus is letting her off. She's getting off easy. How how can he possibly do that? How, How can he allow her to get away? Remember, she isn't getting away with anything. She's not getting off the hook or getting a pass for sin. This just happens to be the day where her sin has found her out. This is the day where it's exposed. It's exposed in a very humiliating, horrible way, as sin often is. You know, the Bible says, be sure that your sin will find you out. The Bible says that. That's the truth of God's word. And if you don't deal with what you know needs to be dealt with today through true, humble repentance, friend, your sin will find you out. First of all, you're not getting away with it with God. God knows all things. It's not hidden from him. And while we may not know, understand this, we may not know yet. Unconfessed, unrepentant sin almost always comes out in a humiliating, painful way. And God's word to some of you today is just repent, forsake your sin. Now while there's abundant grace being, you see the the law, the law was emphasized in verse 5. The law commands that such should be stoned. But Jesus What do you say? I mean, what kind of ministry do you want to be a part of? A very legalistic ministry or one that emphasizes grace? Where our hearts are to help, our hearts are to heal. You know, one of the things I I, I learn about this from this text is that we don't know much about the woman. We don't even know her name. We don't know her upbringing. We don't know whether she was abused or molested as a girl. 
We don't know how and what turn of her life, what series of decisions she made that put her in a place of being known as an adulteress. We don't know. We don't know much about her. And yet, whatever we, you know, when I come to the text, whatever my preconceived ideas are, because we all have preconceived ideas. Did you know that? We all do. I mean, for some of you, adultery is such a sensitive subject. The reason being is it's affected your life personally. Some of you grew up in a single-parent home because of adultery, and it was hard, and it was difficult, and it's taken years for you to forgive and to release the anger and the frustration that you felt because no kid should have to go through that. Some of you have been uh, affected by adultery within your current marriage, and God has given victory, and yours healing, but there was a lot of painful dark nights and days, weren't there? And some of you, you've been touched by adultery because, well, because it wrecked your marriage and you're currently divorced, as some I spoke to after the earlier service. You're divorced today. You're separate. You're a single parent or you're struggling right now. Why? Because adultery entered into your home and you never wanted it. So when you come to the text here, you can come with all kinds of preconceived ideas. You go, man, that's, that adulteress, I know her. She, she's a woman just like her, wrecked my... And we can have all of these ideas. But you see, whatever our preconceived ideas might be, Jesus shatters them with his response, changes them completely. Everything that we may have wanted, everything that you may have wanted to happen with this woman caught in the midst of adultery, in the midst of the very act, didn't happen. She received grace. Why? Because she's standing in the very presence of grace. Grace personified. You know, truth and justice and righteousness and grace and love, they're not just abstract words and philosophies They are summed up in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. So while they were trying to trap her, take advantage of her, hurt her, the best thing they did for her was bring her to grace and truth and wisdom and all of the beautiful attributes of Jesus because they're now going to be displayed in her life. The people, the religious rulers saw her as a lawbreaker, someone just to use against Jesus, but Jesus saw her as a woman in need. It reminds us back, if you turn back one page in chapter 7, verse 24 in John's gospel, Jesus kind of hung this last little statement on the end of a teaching on circumcision of all things. And he says this in verse 24 of John chapter 7, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And if any of you were wondering, what does that look like? Chapter 8 is here for you. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. This is a woman in desperate need of a touch of grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness. Remember the text says she was caught in the very act. So few of us have ever been caught in the very act of any type of sin, let alone such a personal sin. It's one thing to have sinned and repented and move on like many of the sins in our lives. But with your hands in the cookie jar, caught and set up on top of that, so painful. Please hear me on this, church. If you receive this truth, it'll revolutionize the way you serve, and it'll take you from glory to glory and strength to strength in being a grace-based ministry. That, that's, our, that's our fellowship here. We are here by the grace of God, and we are here to extend the grace of God. And, and there's even a phrase that's been picked up in the church world that I'm sure you've used before. We might see someone going through something, and what do we say? There but by the grace of go I. I'm going to teach it to you. Some of you, do you guys know it? There but by the grace of God go I. It's true. It's true in every sense of that phrase. And, and lest we 
point the finger of judgment at this gal. Remember this. Our problem so often with others is we think we have them figured out, and we don't. We think we know all that we need to know, and we don't. We think, oh, you know, you'll hear things like, I know her. Yeah, I know her. I've heard about that. I've said, that doesn't surprise me. Or I know about him. Yeah, he did it to me too. And he's such and such, and he's so and so. Look at that guy. What a sinner. Look at her. Sin written all over her face. And if we don't know, if there's, we do lack information, there may be like an investigation that's launched. So we can find out. Investigations usually involve slander and gossip and, and all kinds of nastiness. You know, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. I mean, God has a fresh word, and we don't know. We don't know everything there is to know about someone. And we need to pray for wisdom. On the one side with this woman, you have the spiritual policeman wanting to read her the law and see that they wanting to be and, and this is so such a frustrating thing to be a part of where someone just takes the role and has the opportunity to not only be the judge and the jury but then to give the sentence like they're standing in the place of God none of us are in the place of God none of us are how careful we need to be with people whose lives have been wrecked with sin the repentant and with the unrepentant perhaps a little sternness of the word but in it, Nevertheless, careful and cautious and spiritual. Hey, thanks for joining us today as we study through the Bible and learn of God's abounding grace. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Are you interested in hearing this again? It's easy to do when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or through our church app. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that to your mobile device. Pastor Ed, I like the analogy of a policeman and a paramedic that you use to describe two very different approaches to the sinner. Now, do you think it's also helpful to be humble in our approach? Being mindful, but for the grace of God, go I. You know, Larry, that illustration, policeman and paramedic, comes to us from Pastor Chuck Smith. I first heard that in a teaching that he shared or maybe a book that he wrote and, and adopted it as my own. And so I'm so grateful for the many men that have sown the Word of God into my life, and many of the things they've shared, they've become my own. And this is an important tool that we use in discipling how to serve those that, that have great need to serve those that are in front of us. And you're right. It is helpful to be humble. It is helpful to be mindful of the grace of God in our lives, really holding us back from great sin ourselves. And it's so much easier, I have to say, just to point the finger and, and be the examiner and get all the facts, but it really requires the Holy Spirit not only to have the facts, because we need them, but also to care about the hurting and to minister with great empathy, with great sympathy, and with great compassion to those that have wrecked their lives. Uh, that's what sin does. It wrecks our lives. It's not irreparable, that's for sure. The grace of God is amazing. It's not irreparable, but for those that have wrecked their lives, the Lord's ready to restore you. Though a man falls seven times, he will rise again. And then for those of us that haven't wrecked our lives, I mean, I wrecked my life before I got saved, but now as a believer, I just want to abide in Christ. And yes, it's by the grace of God that I'm not there because he is faithful. So cling on, cling to his faithfulness. Thanks for those words of encouragement, Pastor Ed. And we're really excited about this month's offer. 
a book written by Steve Carr called Married and How to Stay That Way. This book will help you determine from Scripture the practical ways to resolve your conflicts and how to stop them from reoccurring. You'll also learn what the first step should be to building a solid foundation for your marriage and give you a plan for building the relationship you're seeking. That's Married and How to Stay That Way. We'll send it your way with the gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call toll-free 877-30-GRACE. Again, we're at 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our online store at calvaryco.store. And thank you for your support. We rely on the support of our listeners to bring the teaching of God's Word to stations like this every day. And you know what? We're constantly hearing from folks all over the world that are being blessed, and your gifts help to make that possible. You can donate through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And here's a question. How has Abounding Grace blessed you? We want to hear. And it's easy to share your thoughts and your prayer requests at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Scroll down to the bottom of our homepage and connect with us. Well, there's much more to come in the Gospel of John, and we'll cover more ground on the next Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.